Good evening, everyone. This evening's reading is from Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 56. That's Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gensarat and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognised Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried those who were ill on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns or countryside, they placed those who were ill in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all that touched it were healed. Good evening, everyone. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth and its power. And we pray now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we might understand it and believe it and take it to our hearts and become more like the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom it speaks and in whose name we pray. Amen. Who is Jesus? That's the most important question any of us could ever ask. I've been going for walks recently with a young guy interested in discussing the Christian faith. That is the most important question we've discussed. Who is Jesus? Because if Jesus is God, he demands everything from us. If Jesus is God, he demands the worship of our lives. He demands our time, our money, our gifts, our talents. It all belongs to him because he is God and he made us and one day we will give an account to him. If Jesus is not God, then we ought not to worship him. If Jesus is not God, then he's a liar because he claimed to be God. If Jesus is not God, then he's a charlatan, because he made people think he was God. If Jesus is not God, then we ought not to worship him. We ought not to give him our time and our energy and our resources. Who is Jesus? Mark's Gospel says to us that Jesus is God. At his baptism, God the Father affirms Jesus as his Son. Jesus demonstrates the authority of God over sickness, over evil spirits. And Jesus is able to forgive sins. In chapter 2, verse 5, that's exactly what he does. He forgives the sin of the paralysed man. Well, only God can forgive sins. 
and Jesus does this. Here in chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. He creates food out of nothing. Only God can create out of nothing. Jesus is God, Mark is saying to us. There's a great contrast in chapter 6 between Herod, who is a false shepherd of Israel, and Jesus, who is the true shepherd king. Herod is ruled by his appetites. When his stepdaughter dances for him, he's attracted to her, and he offers her anything up to half his kingdom. What she asks for is the head of John the Baptist on a platter, and Herod gives her this. Herod is violent. Herod is vile. He's a false shepherd of Israel. Jesus is the true shepherd king. He loves the people. He provides for the people. Jesus is God. And now today, three pictures of Jesus as God. He speaks as God. He moves as God. He acts as God. Firstly, Jesus speaks as God. That's to say, he speaks with his Father in heaven in prayer. Jesus knows that he needs time alone with the Father. Verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. So he gets rid of the disciples. They go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. So Jesus gets rid of the crowd too. And leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Jesus has loved his Father from all eternity. Jesus is in a love relationship with Father and with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus knows that this is where he goes to be strengthened and refreshed. He goes back to the Father. It's a bit like the fact that I come from Wales. In many respects, I return to Wales at several points during the week. I check the BBC News website. My television is tuned to BBC Wales so that I hear what's going on in Wales. I phone my family and friends in Wales. Although I live in England, I regularly visit Wales. And it's the same with Jesus and the Father. Jesus was eternally one with the Father and the Spirit. Then he left the glory of heaven and he came to earth. He lives on earth, but he makes regular visits to his Father in heaven in prayer. It's where his heart is. It's where he gets his strength. Older evangelicals understood this. Older evangelicals recognised that just as Jesus drew strength from retreating from the world and going to be with his Father, 
So old or evangelicals would retreat from the world to be with the Father in prayer, in daily prayer, keeping in touch with the Father. Then there was the use of the Lord's Day. Older evangelicals recognised that Sunday was a day for spiritual rest. So people came to church twice on a Sunday. The whole day was for the Lord. This is where the people got their strength from. Being with Christian family. Being with their Heavenly Father. Church meetings were essential through the week. Meeting for prayer and Bible study. That was incredibly important to our spiritual forefathers. Just as Jesus, the eternal Son of God, retreats from the world to be with his Father in heaven, so older evangelicals retreated from the world to be with their Father in heaven. There were downsides to this. Often older evangelicals didn't have many non-Christian friends. We need non-Christian friends to invite to church. We need non-Christian friends to do personal evangelism with. It was a shame that the older evangelicals were so cut off from the world. But the upside was that they were spiritually refreshed and that they were spiritually mature and godly. We certainly don't have the same attitude today. We don't come to church, most of us, twice on a Sunday. Many don't come to pray and study God's Word through the week. My uncle, Phil Hill, was the minister of a largest church in Leighton Buzzard. They would get perhaps 200 to church in the morning but only 30 to church in the night. So my uncle Phil spent quite a long time teaching on the use of the Lord's Day. That it is the Lord's Day and not the Lord's morning. That we should spend a whole day in communion with God, in fellowship with God and with his people. But he failed. The evening service never grew. And so in the end, they closed down the evening service and they had a morning Bible teaching for all believers. They had all-age Sunday school followed by a morning service. And then the rest of the day was the people's own. What do you think of that? Is that right? Is the Lord's Day a whole day or is it just a morning? Is it essentially your own time, out of which you give God an hour in the morning, or is it the Lord's Day for rest and refreshment and spiritual growth and development? John certainly describes Sunday as the Lord's Day in Revelation 1 verse 10. So Jesus speaks with God. He speaks as God. He retreats to be with his Father in heaven. And we too should retreat from the world and spend time in prayer 
and in fellowship with God, in his word and with his people. Jesus speaks as God. Jesus moves as God. Verses 47 to 52. Verse 47, Jesus is alone on the land. He's in prayer. In verse 48, he sees the disciples straining against the wind. So what does Jesus do? He goes out to see his disciples. He takes a stroll on the water. He walks on the water out to his disciples. And verse 48, he was about to pass by them. Why is that? It's very strange, isn't it? Why would Jesus pass by his disciples as he walks on the water? Well, Mark sees in this further evidence that Jesus is God. Mark sees echoes here of how God passed by Moses in Exodus 33, 19 and 22. Remember the story. Moses has led the people out of Egypt, but the people are a nightmare to lead. They've just been worshipping the golden calf. And Moses says in chapter 33, verse 15, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Lord, I'm not going if you won't come with me, says Moses. And then Moses says in verse 18, Now show me your glory. Moses has to see the reality of God. And the Lord says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. But you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord passes by Moses. And God says, I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And this is exactly what Jesus does here in Mark 6. He passes by and he proclaims his name, the Lord. This is repeated in Exodus 33:22. Jesus passes by his disciples. Verse 49, when they saw him on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Jesus is God. He can walk on the water. But he didn't, doesn't just want to terrify his disciples. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Literally, when Jesus says, It is I, he says, I am. Jesus uses the great Old Testament name for God, I am, Yahweh, Jehovah, Lord, with capital letters. 
That's why I say, if Jesus is God, he demands everything from us. If Jesus is God, he demands the whole of our lives, given over in worship to him. If Jesus is not God, then he's a liar and a charlatan, because here he's claiming to be God. Then, verse 51, he climbed into the boat, and the wind died down. Jesus calms the storm. He walks on water, and he calms the storm. He's the great I am. He is God. Well, the disciples are completely amazed, verse 52, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. What keeps the disciples from understanding who Jesus is? Well, it's their hearts. Their hearts are hardened. It's the same today. What keeps people from understanding who Jesus is? It's their hearts. It's their hard hearts. Don't know whether you ever played with Play-Doh. It's lovely stuff. It's great fun. You can squidge it and squeeze it and shape it and mould it. You can cut things out of it in different shapes, you can make pretend cake out of it, you can have all kinds of fun with Play-Doh, provided it's nice and soft. If you've ever left it out to go, to go hard, you will know that it's no good at all. Once it's gone hard, you can't shape it and squeeze it and mould it. It's no longer pliable, it's no longer malleable. You can't shape it and do what you like with it. It has to be soft. And it's the same with our hearts. They have to be soft before God. God has to be able to shape us and mould us. God has to take away our old hard heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. A soft hard heart that's teachable. What can we do about hard hearts? What can we do about hard hearts in ourselves? What can we do about hard hearts in other Christians? What can we do about hard hearts in non-Christians? Well the answer is we must pray. It is God alone who can replace a hard heart with a soft heart. We must pray. Pray for ourselves. Pray every day as we come to God's Word, as we come to Him in prayer. Pray that we would have soft, malleable hearts that God can shape and mould. We must pray for others. 
pray for other Christians to have soft, teachable hearts. And we must pray for non-Christians, for the ones we're talking to about Jesus. We must pray for them to have soft, teachable hearts. So Jesus speaks as God. Jesus moves as God. And thirdly, Jesus acts as God. Verse 53. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. So they've been blown off course somewhat. And then what happens to Jesus is peace and quiet. What happens to his fellowship with the Father? Well, verse 54, as soon as they got out of the boat, the people recognised Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried those who were ill on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns or countryside, they placed those who were ill in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. The crowds seem to have more faith now than the disciples, don't they? The crowds have great faith in Jesus, absolute confidence that he can heal them, absolute confidence that he can meet their needs. But Jesus is under great pressure here. He's surrounded by people making demands on him. He's under great pressure. And that means Jesus understands when you're under great pressure. Jesus understands what it's like. And that's why he so frequently retreats to pray. Well, let me draw these threads together. Do you know Jesus as God? Is your heart hard or soft towards him? Ian, not Ian who comes to our church, another Ian was hard-hearted towards God. That was until May the 6th, 1982. This is a true story. Ian got married young to Jane and they decided to go travelling. They got a job in the south of France on a beach which was great fun, very cool and introduced them to the drug culture. So they started taking drugs, mainly marijuana. Then they moved on to work in Egypt in a hotel and they continued taking drugs. But there in the hotel, they met Christians who introduced them to Jesus. And Ian and Jane were very interested. They were drawn to Jesus. The Holy Spirit was softening their hearts and they were being drawn to him. Until they realised that it was going to be drugs or Jesus. They couldn't have both. They came to a crisis moment, 
drugs or Jesus. Ian had had an experience of God when he was eight. His grandfather had died and he went to view the body. And after that, he had nightmares of death until Ian cried out to God and God took away his nightmares. But Ian forgot all about that until here he was back in Egypt, hearing about Jesus, being drawn to Jesus. And on the 6th of May 1982, Ian and Jane gave their hearts to Jesus. Ian and Jane committed their lives to Christ. They realised that he was God, that he demands everything from them, and they gave him the whole of their life. And Ian and Jane have walked with God to this day. How about you? Have you considered the claims of Christ? What keeps you from following him? And if you are a Christian, what difference does it make to know that Jesus is God? What difference does it make to see that Jesus is God here in Mark 6? To see Jesus speaking with his Father as God? To see Jesus moving as God, walking on the water? To see Jesus acting as God? What difference does it make? Well, it makes all the difference in the world. Jesus is God and you know him. You know God. You know the Lord of the universe. You know the creator and sustainer of all things. You know God. What a privilege. And this transforms everything, doesn't it? Prayer. Prayer isn't just speaking into thin air. Prayer is speaking with God. Prayer is speaking with the one who controls all things. Prayer is an amazing privilege because Jesus is God and you know him. Bible reading is an astonishing privilege when you know God through Jesus because God speaks to you. This isn't just theory. This is God speaking to you in his word because you know Jesus and Jesus is God. Coming to church is an immense privilege. You come to meet with God because Jesus is God and you know him. And serving God is so worthwhile because Jesus is God. You're giving him the whole of your life and there's no better way to spend your time and your money and your energy and your talents. There's no better thing to do than serve God because Jesus is God. We know him and it transforms everything. The Welsh have a word I like. It's called hoyl. It means joy or spirit. People might say, how's your hoil? Are you full of joy and in good spirits? Well, in the same way, 
How is it between you and God? How is your hoil? Are you hard-hearted towards Him or soft? Are you teachable? Are you malleable? Are you like that soft play-doh in the hands of the Master? Are you teachable? Are you willing to obey Him? When I was a student, I had a year of quite profound doubt when I wasn't sure if the Christian faith was true. And I had to go through the evidence, the same evidence that Bernie goes through in his book Cure for Life. I had to go through the evidence and work out if it's true. And I decided it was true. Then one Sunday morning, I was listening to the Radio 4 service in my room. It came from St. Michael's Church, Chester Square, where I would later go on to work. And as I listened to this service, God touched my heart. God softened my heart once again. He filled me with his love and with his presence. And I knew it was all true. I knew I wanted Jesus in my life. Well, if you've gone a bit hard towards Jesus, will you let him soften you once again? Will you let him come to you and flood your life with his love and with his presence? Will you let him give you a soft heart of flesh once again? in place of your hard heart of stone. Maybe you need to come for the first time and say to the Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Please be my King, be my Lord, be my Master. Or maybe you need to come back for the umpteenth time and say to Jesus, Lord, I do love you. I'm sorry I've got hard towards you. I do love you. Please soften my heart once again that I will love you and follow you and serve you all my days. Will you come to him like that? Will you serve him with the whole of your life? Will you worship Jesus as God? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is God. Thank you that we know God when we know Jesus. And thank you that this transforms everything. Lord, give us soft, teachable hearts. Give us hearts which love Jesus and which want to serve him and obey him with the whole of our lives. Lord, we give ourselves afresh to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.